0: welcome to tax strategy digest where we explore the fascinating world of finance join us as we dive into the stories insights and experiences of experts thought leaders and everyday people who are making a difference in this field through engaging conversations and thought-provoking discussions we'll take a deep dive into the latest research trends and innovations shaping finance so sit back relax and get ready to learn something new on this exciting journey with us with that said Today, our guest is Dennis Shapiro, who is a well-known author, networker, and alternative investment expert. Dennis, great to have you.
1: Thanks, Paul, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, great to have you. And, and Dennis, I'll let you kind of go ahead and introduce yourself and give a brief summary about what you do and um, and how you got here.
1: Yeah, so I think for me, my journey uh, starts uh, when I was 14. I was given a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad by uh, my older brother. At the time, I actually hated the book um I thought it was that the guy made more money on his uh talking engagements than the stuff he actually wrote about in the book but you know uh 20 years later and a lot of different experiences later my mindset has completely flipped on that book uh but the one thing I did get out of the book is to actually start investing and I was like 14 I had a pizza I, a pizza job and I think I bought my first uh at that time I went to him my older brother at that time and I was like what should I invest in and he's like oh you know I do these mutual funds and He's, he actually helped me set up a Scotch trade account. I remember at that time. And I had to pay $7 for a trade. And I, I remember that amount uh, very specifically. And um we bought the mutual fund. I remember the whole year I sat there and did almost nothing. And I was like, you know what? There's got to be a better way. So I started reading about like individual stock pickers, the Buffets, the Peter Lynches out there. Uh, and that's all I wanted to do. So I went to college. I was like, I'm going to be the next Warren Buffett. I went for my MBA and I kind of, the timing just didn't work out because I went right in the great financial crisis and I got recruited by the government in 2010. And what I started realizing is when I got the paycheck, I was like, wow, they're not only my employer, but they're like really my business partner because the amount of taxes that they're taking out. Uh, So then I kind of came home, I think that day when I got my first paycheck and I was like, well, how do I pay less taxes? And the first like round of results were semi illegal. Went back, specified, you know, how to pay less taxes legally. And the whole thing was like real estate, real estate, real estate, real estate. Uh so from there I kind of went on a journey where I was buying single families, but I didn't, I didn't have the I didn't have it in me to do more of that. So I went from single families to note investing, uh, then to I kind of stumbled onto the private equity world. And when I stumbled onto this private equity world, that's when you know my life kind of changed. Uh, what I started realizing is I had this huge background with stocks, and I realized that stocks are an amazing tool for appreciation, but they're pretty terrible when it comes to cash flow. And then what I realized in these private equity worlds is that it, provide, it provided the cash flow that I really needed. Uh, so from there, I started an investment club. I wrote my book, The Alternative Investment Almanac. And then later on, after 10 to 15 deals as a limited partner where you're basically just the investor I kind of moved on to the operational side and that's what we do today so my company is SIH Capital Group uh we have an income fund but we also do individual deals and our main specialty is affordable housing but we do other projects here and there as well
0: okay awesome and would you mind uh diving a little deeper into your book the alternative investment almanac what does it kind of cover and uh, what did it talk about throughout the
1: book? yeah, so what what I started realizing when I was getting on these networking calls was people in the alternative space are they've kind of like transitioned completely away. They were like, oh, you know, stocks were great, but once I discovered real estate, I just sold my whole portfolio and I went all in on the real estate side. And then what i what I when I was talking to people who, have never heard of private equities, they kind of all thought that it's just all Ponzi schemes. So I wanted to create this book to actually marry the two worlds together. I wanted to show the alternative side that there's uses of using a traditional portfolio. And then I wanted to show the people who only really know about alternatives through their financial advisor, something like that, that this world actually does exist. And it, I, I gave about nine asset classes and the way I structured the book was, it was an introduction, it's an introduction into the alternative asset, like let's say mobile home parks. So it's, you know, you're going to read 10 to 15 pages about mobile home parks, and then you get into Q and a Q&A with two people that are actually in that space today. And what that helps you do is if you read that book, maybe there's two alternative assets that really stick out. Maybe it's multifamily mobile home parks So self-storage or whatever else I, or, or ATM funds, whatever I included in that book. And then it lets you go into a deeper rabbit hole where you could go and listen to podcasts on the topic, or you could go read more in-depth books on the topic. Uh, So the goal was to give an introduction to that asset class with two Q and A's from people that are actually in the space that you could actually reach out to after the book and that's kind of what was my goal with the book
0: okay awesome and um I know you mentioned you know you paid seven dollars for your first investment was that your very first investment is that really what kicked it off or maybe what was your first alternative investment that that really sparked your your just love and passion for this
1: so seven dollars was the cost of the trade. I think the actual uh, the actual trade was around thousand dollars. That's what okay. I had saved up from from my summer. Um, I, I actually when I talk to younger people, I'm like, yeah, I'm old enough to remember. You actually had to pay for a trade. <laughs> so I'm not old enough to like call in and to to do a, like a pay a trade over the phone. But I am old enough to remember like, hey, I actually had to pay. Trades weren't free, so you had to think twice about them. Uh, so, uh, but in my alternative space, it was right after my single family, what happened with the single family is that I, I did probably the stupidest thing you can possibly do. I called my oldest brother who had a small portfolio and I said, Hey, I need to write off, you know, what can I, what do you want to sell? And he had like a portfolio of like 10 units. And he's like, yeah, this one gives me the most headaches. And that's not the way he said it, but that's kind of the way it worked out. So I, I inherited a problem, but I learned a lot from it. And the one thing I did learn is I didn't want to scale this. I didn't want to scale being a landlord because when you're when you're a lot of times when you're a first time home buyer, especially first time home buyer of like a single family rental, you're doing everything. You're like the general contractor, you're the property manager, you're the insurance broker, you're doing all these different things because you know there's really not that much cash flow. If you start hiring out for this, you're, you're going to go negative very, very soon. So I started realizing that I don't want to scale this. But I did want to invest money because at that time I was I was working and moving up in my career. So what I found was a note fund and they were local. So they were based out of Pennsylvania. And it allowed me to kind of learn about what a private placement memorandum is all these different nuances of an alternative asset. So that was my first investment. I think their minimum was ten thousand at that time. It did move up later on as their firm grew. and you 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 find that commonplace in the industry, but usually the the standard minimum for a private placement deal is around fifty thousand.
0: Okay, okay, awesome. And you talked a little bit about you did a lot of business with your brother um other than your brother obviously you know it wasn't just him that you were doing business with how did you build your network starting kind of from scratch
1: yeah i think a lot of that is you have to get away from your comfort so when i was dealing with my brother that is a comfort level so i could call him i know that call is taken um, it's when he stopped wanting to grow where I wanted to, because I was like, hey, these private placements are great. Let's go bigger on these. And he's like, oh, no, I'm not really into them as much as you are, you know, and whatever the, the plethora of reasons are. And then that's when I was like, okay, I can't rely on my comfort zone. I have to go build out a network. And I kind of came up with this this process of building out the network. And one of the first things I recommend people is when you go on LinkedIn, whatever you're interested in investing in, actually just put it in underneath your name. So like, let's say you wanna be a crypto investor. So underneath you wanna put, you know, you say, hey, uh, Dennis Shapiro on the bottom, it's crypto investor or crypto developer, whatever it is. Just put those words there. And what ends up happening is you start getting bombarded we're like hey do you want to jump on a 15-minute call with me i have this this exciting opportunity whatever it is and you accept them because you don't have a network at that point and when you accept them you're not doing it so you could invest in whatever they are offering you or buy whatever they're offering you're doing it just to learn their language uh because that's such a key step that people skip over commercial real estate or any type of investment has its own unique language. And unless you don't know that, I mean, unless you learn, take your time to actually learn that language, when you go out to network with other people in that space, you're going to come off as help me, help me, help me versus the, Hey, I'm a peer here. Why don't we exchange valuable information? Because you need to have that conversation. You can't have the conversation where you're coming to them and saying, Hey, what is a cap rate? Or, Hey, you know, uh, how did you buy that building? Because it's not a mutual respect at that point. Right. So you 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 take your time. You post on LinkedIn. You learn the language. And now once you learn the language, once you feel like you have a certain amount of educational, and this is LinkedIn combined with listening to podcasts and reading to books and thing, all of that combined should help you learn that language. And it should take you a couple of months because that's that's the time frame, and you don't want to rush that education period. Now you could go to local meetups. Now you could go to networking events. And now you can go to conferences and that's what happened with me so I, I took my time i learned the language i went to one of my first conferences it was the mid-atlantic uh, conference and i networked i think with like 20 30 people and one thing i did was right after the conference i emailed every single one of them let's stay in touch only five or six people actually took me up on my offer And ironically, like four of those six have become some kind of partners in my, in my, in my future, uh, because they said yes. And we've been saying yes to each other for the last three, four years. But at the same time, when I went to that conference, I already had some kind of base of knowledge and everything like that. And then what happens is when you get those five good people, you just, instead of just saying, Hey, let's, let's talk whenever you set calendar times, you say, Hey, does May 17th work for you? Let's get something on the calendar. And usually once you get that commitment, then you get that quarterly consistency. And then then that's when the magic happens. Because once you have those four or five people in your circle that you're connecting with that are doing the same things as you are, then you could, hey, I, this deal just came across my plate. I don't even know how to look at it. Can you look at it? Maybe he says, no, I, I can't look at it, but I know someone that does. Because now let's say Dare 5 has five of their own. Now you really have an access to 25 people and you don't really need that much more than that. So those are kind of the steps I took to actually building uh, my network. And it worked out really, really well. In hindsight, I wish I could have done exactly that script. I know I, I hindered here and there uh, in my real life, but looking back at it, I found that, that to be a pretty effective course.
0: Perfect. Um, and then you said uh, just recently, you just said uh, about how, you know, maybe it's going to be a mobile home park maybe it's uh whatever it might be are you doing some sort of syndication with that
1: yeah so for the most most of our deals are syndications um we do have smaller deals uh that are one offs here and there that we will do a joint venture but for a joint venture everyone has to be actively involved so it's a very it's a very um, it's a very delicate line where you're not creating a security on it. So 9 out of 10 times, we'll go with the security route. It's just safer. Uh, But once in a while, we will do the joint venture route if the deal makes sense.
0: Okay, got it. And then for someone who wants to invest in maybe a non-traditional or an alternative investment, um, where does that fit into the portfolio? With the traditional investment, should people only be going alternative? What what do you see as the best course of action?
1: Yeah. So this is one of those things where I kind of differ from Many of my peers. So, a lot of my peers that are raising capital, one of their strategies is to take capital from somewhere else. And the way that they do that is they'll go over the cons of the stock market. So, if the stock market's down 5% this month, you'll see a thousand LinkedIn posts of this is why you can't invest in the stock market. Invest your $50,000 with me in my apartment building. Uh, the problem is I come from a background where I know the benefits of the stock markets. You know, for the last 70, 80 years, it has a track record where it grows at eight to 10%. The problem with the stock market is it's it's pretty volatile. So it can go down pretty significantly. And then the second thing is the what traditionally worked to create cash flow doesn't work anymore. So just to rewind a second. So for me, an investment has to do two things. It has to cash flow and has to appreciate. If you can't, the, uh, your investment portfolio. Not every investment is going to do both, but your investment portfolio should do those two things. They should cash flow for you, and they should appreciate for you. Now, what I've learned throughout the process is, every time I tried to create cash flow for my traditional portfolio, it was a disaster. So I'm talking about REITs, MLPs, uh, high dividend stocks. What ended up happening is, uh, for for a few months, it would underperform a regular index fund. And then when there's a crash, when there's a correction, just when those high yields are supposed to protect that stock, the way that the algorithms work these days, it takes everything down in kind. So traditionally, 20, 30 years ago, you had these high dividend stocks. And when, when you had a 4% yield on it, and there was a 10% correction in the market, and algorithms weren't in play, they tended to perform, outperform the rest of the market because people gravitated to those higher yields that's not the case anymore. You could see it during COVID. Uh, the, the S&P 500 was down 34%. You look at something like, like a Vanguard REIT fund, which is a pretty well-diversified fund of REITs, it's down the same 30 34% when it's based off commercial real estate that wasn't down 30 34% that month. So those were the problems with traditional. Now, the alternative side, if you're fully alternative, the problem is then you have no access to cash because once you make these private placement deals you don't have access to that cash. So there's these pros and cons to both sides. And when I realized this, instead of looking at as whether or not I should do traditional or alternative, I realized that I should do both of them in kind of like a pie format. And if I just cut the middle of the pie and said, you know what, the left side is my appreciation side of my portfolio. That's just gonna be my index fund. I'm gonna spend very little time networking because if you network with traditional, you might go to jail for insider trading right? So I'm going to spend very little time listening to investor calls, anything, because I'm just going to be in a simple index fund. And I know over the course of time, if I don't panic, it'll appreciate around 8% a year. Now on my right side of my portfolio, that's where I had all these all different alternative slices, and that's where I'll invest in mobile home parks and self-storage places and affordable housing and short-term rentals. And I'll slice that up as much as possible because I'm spending 99% of my time networking with people in those individual slices. And now that's that side of the portfolio is really going to outperform on the cash flow. And when you combine the two of them... I got liquidity because now I got some from the traditional side that I could could bank on. I have more stability to, to the traditional side because even if the market's down 10%, my whole portfolio is not down 10%. And now I got all these different appreciation things. And quite frankly, I enjoy my time spending talking to people like you. So it's 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 a win-win situation for me. And I found that this is like the perfect strategy for myself. A uh, disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor. This is not like a Dennis Shapiro method or anything like that. It's just a strategy that I've kind of come up with. I talk about it in my book. Uh, but disclaimer, you should always talk to your financial, legal, professional team before executing on any type of strategy.
0: Awesome. Yeah, perfect. I, I love it. I love that you threw that in there. Um, but uh I guess this will probably be a pretty easy answer for you but but what's your why why did you get into doing this um you know was it family what, what was your you know main reasoning for just taking a different approach than everybody else
1: you know what that why has changed over time and i know your why technically isn't supposed to really change it's supposed to be that driving force but my why has become my control of time um so i originally was big into like the fire movement retire early as possible Uh, then I saw an issue with the fact that I didn't know what I was going to do with my time. I have a family, but there's only so much time you could spend with your family and stuff because you have to grow as a person yourself. So if you are just allocating all your time to others, you're not growing to yourself. Um, and then I went on this path and journey. And then what I realized at the end of the day is that the ability to control your time and work with people that you love working with. And that's the main thing. It's like, I, when I worked for the government, they were, it it was the epitome of the 80, 20, right? 20% of the people did 80% of the work, but there was a lot of BS talk. There was a lot of stuff that, you know, everybody's pulling their weight, but that's not how it really works. So when in reality, the number one thing to someone who is entrepreneurial and stuff like that is to be able to control, to make sure no one on their team is the one that is, is, is the one that doing the 20%. You know, that means a lot to me at this stage of my life is that just that control of time.
0: Awesome. Uh, well, to wrap it up, I mean, I'm going to put a link to your LinkedIn, your website, um, and your book down below, just in case somebody wants to read it. Um, but is there a best way for someone who's listening, if they want to get in contact with you, if they want to learn a little bit more about some alternative investment options, uh, where could they contact you?
1: Yeah. So the best place is sihcapitalgroup.com. Uh, when you go in there, what I did is for every chapter in my book, I created, uh, abridged versions of it. And that, that abridged ebook is available on my book for free. If you sign up to my list. Uh, so if you go on sihcapitalgroup.com and click learn more, and you can sign up and get the uh, the free ebook. Otherwise, you know, just reach out to me at D N I S at sihcapitalgroup.com. I'm more than happy to network and talk to other like-minded individuals.
0: Okay, awesome. Well, Dennis, I really appreciate you taking the time to hop on here. I've had a blast learning a little bit more from you. And just like you just said, let's stay in touch and uh, we'll keep this going. Thanks, Paul. Thanks.